Let's go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the next episode of my podcast. I have to say to you that um, despite the bad news in London, where I am, congratulations to America has now become a truly independent nation without Trump. Uh, what we have witnessed over the last week has been horrific. And despite the fact that as a world leader, I did condemn Trump's actions, uh, the media did not respond or did not quote me in any shape or form. I have to say thank you so much to all my listeners. I noticed that the United States has now taken over in terms of number of downloads and is now top of the charts compared to the United Kingdom, which is a close second. But also I noticed ever since I interviewed Joe White, that ugly comedian, that uh, we've had lots of downloads from Australia. With no further ado, I am pleased to introduce you to my next guest. Her name is Sharon Bieber Anderson. And I have to say to you that she is not a comedian. She's just a comedy lover. She loves comedy and she loves comedians. I will read her bio and then we will get you to meet her as we go along. She is an integrative counselor, a well-being coach supervisor, studying for an MA in mindfulness at Oxford. She's a fan of Ruby Wax. So I told you she is a comedy lover, but she's not a fan of President Obonjo, but she's a fan of Ruby Wax. So this is going to be a very interesting podcast interview. Her counseling experience includes corporal counseling, substance misuse, bereavement, and mental health. And one of the reasons why I wanted her here is we know right now that the world is in a bad shape right now. Why not have a counselor to come and talk to us about how we can deal with some of the things we are focusing on right now? Coaching one-to-one -one on holistic well-being, currently working for a community-based mental health charity in East London. Since the pandemic, she's been offering online or telephone counseling. And so let me tell you, it is no coincidence that I have invited her here because I also need counseling. As you know, I have been running a country online for the past 11 years, and it has just dawned on me ever since the lockdown that really you have been performing and entertaining and running the country online. And all of a sudden, it seems to have disappeared. Uh, her interest is sharing time with family, long walks, hiking, yoga and meditation, reading groups, and discussing Rumi or Prost, and so many other things. So she is quite vast. She has lots of life experience. And I have to say to you, I went to a state on a state visit to Dinchley uh, many, many months ago, and she invited me into her house. The warmth and the hospitality is what made me say to myself that when I start a podcast, I would want Sharon to be with me. So with no further ado, Sharon, how are you? How are you coping? How is life treating you where you are? Right, right. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, first of all. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, um, very quickly, you know, I practice mindfulness. And um, one of my coping strategies in a world that seems to be surrounding us by negative news is to stay very much in the moment. So I'm feeling good because as you said, we met up in the summer through a, a mutual friend, Martin, and we went, you went to a little tea room in Ditchling and we, it was a brilliant sunny day and we walked around some gardens. So, you know, that, that, that was a wonderful time. And so meeting you today, I feel in that kind of calm place. So I'm really happy to be here and to, to have this conversation with you. Is it not really interesting? Because the Western media will tell you that dictators don't offer calm to their people and you have just confirmed it, you know? There's nothing to be frightened about a benevolent um, dictator. I am also really pleased to have you on my podcast, but very disappointed that you don't have, anyway, there's no way you could have any statue or posters of me behind, behind your 
living room because you are a fan of Ruby Wax. So I want to start by saying, what is it that Ruby Wax is doing for you that I cannot do for you in terms of comedy? All right, okay, so um, interesting question. Look, Ruby Wax is a, a woman who obviously went into comedy. Um, she was fairly successful, which she was successful. And then she almost got to a point where she had a kind of breakdown. And being a very sort of self-driven woman, uh, a sort of person who's always helped herself, she was driven to find out what is going on with me. What, you know, why am I falling apart? So she actually went on her own personal journey and um, she trained as a therapist. And she, in fact, went on to do her course in mindfulness at Oxford. Wow. So um, I actually saw Ruby Wax Alive about three years ago. She'd written a book um, on mindfulness and her latest one, I think is called Frazzled. And why I love Ruby Wax is, although she's taking on a role as a counselor, she still retains her beautiful sense of humor and that ability to laugh at herself. And in a way that is, you know, you, she's, she's serious about herself, but she can open up and, and through the comedy, it kind of helps her open up and helps others to kind of feel more relaxed and laugh at themselves. So it, it's a kind of benevolent comedy. Whereas with you, President Obonjo, I'm, I'm having not known you for very long, you know, and not that familiar with your with your style of comedy. But obviously, when I met you and I invited you into my house, um, I remember you coming coming into the room and, and you were smiling and you had a book of Shakeavara in your hand. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I've got a house full of books you must have beamed in on that one and as soon as you held that book you started to feel very much at home <laughs> and I think that's when you bonded with me and you thought maybe she likes she's a closet reader of dictators or revolutionaries or something and then I explained to you in fact that was my son's book because yeah. um yeah you know is a yeah I mean but yes I was a fan of Che Guevara but um yeah, Ruby Wax became a counselor. So she's both comedian and counselor. She she has two roles. I had no idea that, you know, that she was into counseling. And it's really interesting what you say about comedy in the sense that a lot of people, they always say that comedians have breakdowns and that they use their comedy is not supposed to be therapy but they have found a way of, you know, poking fun at themselves on stage. And it's such a wonderful, I say day because um, I regard myself as a president rather than as a comedian, even though the title of my podcast is If Comedians Ruled the World. So thanks for sharing that information about Ruby Wax. And I think this is going to be, I can just sense the not using the word mindfulness, but the calmness that you have given me so far uh, since we've been talking. And uh, it's really important. I'm hoping that listeners will get a lot from this because like I said, this lockdown is quite challenging for people, both in terms of their mental health. I think that's the key thing. Uh, well-being and people being able to adjust to what has become such a change uh, and I like the fact that you mentioned that uh, you're in the moment. And I think that's key uh, for most uh, people. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know where I got the British accent from, but I must explain that ever since <laughs> I have been on under house arrest, I've been watching a lot of British programs and I have been mimicking them uh, fantastically. And I think I'm doing very well. I, we spoke about I demanded that you come onto my podcast and I demanded that I want you to come and talk about social media. Mm. But before we go into the details of social media, mm. I actually have a speech that I have written and then we will talk about social media. The speech is about social media. So I will read it out and that will set the scene 
And so for our listeners and for those who are going to be watching this on YouTube, the subject for discussion is about social media. And let me begin my speech. I have assumed that I am currently addressing the Queen of England. So please bear with me. Your Majesty, Your Royal Highness, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for this rare and humbling opportunity to speak to you in this magnificent building. It feels like an early Christmas gift, but it isn't. This is the first week of the new year. In such an ancient place, I feel I should be talking to you about history, but it is not the past I want to talk to you about this evening. It is in fact a very modern problem that brings me here, an insidious, damaging, and dangerous phenomenon. Once poured in this century, it has upset human interaction, poisoned politics. Look at what's happened in America. Look at what's happened in Britain and robbed us of our privacy. I am talking about social media. I am talking about Twitter, Instagram, Facebook fundamentally changed our lives. We have become addicts. That addiction has left us exposed to fake news and dangerous lies. And those lies have infected our children, bringing untold damage to society. This, ladies and gentlemen, is why I want to see an outright global ban on social media platforms. This is the only way we can rediscover the simpler and happier time that existed before. It's true that social media may seem at least harmless fun, but I know the politicians in this hall, along with everyone else in the public eye, will agree with me, social media is hell. I mean, how can I wake up 11 years ago, wear an army uniform, and create a country called President of Laughter Republic, a country called Laughter Republic, and I created a country online for 11 years. It is only when the lockdown started, I thought, what am I doing to myself? Social media. You of all people will know how the hot cost by singing abuse from trolls. Sometimes you're on the receiving end of racism or misgendering. I can't pronounce that properly. Misgendering, you know what I'm talking about. Other times it's well filled in logical rants. You must starkly endure. Your family and loved ones are targets too. Social media has made your lives not better. It's a vile pit of harassment, intimidation, and downright nastiness. Deep down, all of us wish it away. Some people say there's value in the connectivity social media brings. How misguided they are. Sharing photos of your holiday with your friends at a football game is innocent enough. But on social media, not all sharing is caring. Beneath the surface, we find social media to be the portals of lies and damaging misinformation. Look at what happened to America. Look at what's happened to Britain over Brexit. Even in my small country, Laughter Republic, social media has had an impact. Voters have been scared to false conclusions faster than ever before. It is our children I'm truly worried about. We have all heard the deeply saddening stories of teenagers driven to depression and suicide all because of social media. Posts about self-harm become a contagion. It has happened in my small country called Laughter Republic. It's happened in yours. We cannot allow young, impressionable, and vulnerable people to suffer in this way. We must take our lives back. Social media is evil. That is all I wanted to say. Now, it is quite possible, having Sharon here, that this might end up being some kind of canceling service for a dictator. You know, analyze this. Sharon, over to you to talk to you about social media and your understanding of it, the impact, and what do you think of my speech? I know it's not from Ruby Wax, but what do you think? Yeah, um, right. So first things first. What, what I got from you, the way you delivered your speech, your body language, is um, you, know, you, you are taking a definite stand um, against social media, um, and um, you feel very passionate about it due to the fact that you're focusing on the negative aspects and um, indeed they, they are um, significant and we need to be aware of them. Um, and it, it felt like it, it was a good argument, but it, it, it was one-sided and I'm in terms of, <laughs> in terms of analyzing you, I suppose 
as a as a dictator, you you need to take quite a rigid, definite stand. Um, there's no room for alternative viewpoints at the moment, um, and your call to ban social media. Um, for me, I could understand in terms of what you're arguing um, against and, and, and the protection you want to offer, but there's a fine line between, between that protection and over control. And what was coming up for me was a sense of, okay, I am, it's valid what you say, and you say it with great passion. And as you say, you've been a victim yourself. Um, and that's obviously left you with, with feelings of anxiety or mistrust. And also when you looked at the world and what's happening with Trump and the use of social media and looking at your own family, maybe the impact on your children. But what I would feel or what would come up for me was a sense of, okay, let's, let's open up this conversation. Let, let's find some flexibility um, and find ways that, you know, we could look at social media as this object or, or this technology that we brought upon the world that we have. And the negative aspects that, that you've highlighted for me, they're just magnifying the negative aspects, the negative psyche of, of the human race. Um, the power games, the misinformation, the, the, um, the stereotypes, the um, othering of different people. So in a way, we could say that social media is like a mirror. And basically when we look into it, we are seeing ourselves and rather than and what it's asking us to do it, it's challenging us to make the changes positive changes that would make social media um a more connective a more democratic um a more respectful arena to connect to i hear you uh, a couple of how things. Do you feel, though? How do you feel when I say that? Do you feel a resistance? Do you feel I'm being a bit like, well, hang on, I'm taking your argument away. I'm just want curious about what feelings that brings up for you. I don't do feelings. That's oh. number one. A okay. couple of things that you've mentioned. Uh, one is I don't have anxiety. I think I probably feel like as a world leader that uh, social media exposes me in terms of people to trust. And certainly from the experience from the attempted coup last year by BBC Studios and E4, a lot of that, uh, a lot of my um, public speaking engagements running around the country uh, exposed me on social media. But that is a different issue entirely. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah so you heard about that. So for me, it's more of mistrust. Who do you actually trust? Who do you trust within your cabinet? Can I trust laughter Republicans? You know, it's, 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 it's a minefield in terms of social media, but also the fact that they have become so powerful. These social media barons have become so powerful. I mean, can you imagine the 45th president, the leader of the free world was banned from Twitter, Facebook, online platforms, only fans, President Trump was banned. That is the leader of the free world. If they can ban President Trump, they could also ban me from actually communicating online. And what happens to my republic? And that's one of many reasons why I've said we need to take control and ban social media because it causes a lot of unrest. What we witness in America, as far as our concern, a lot of it was misinformation, which was passed on to these people to protest. But um, so, and then I feel like you're probably sitting on the fence in terms of my speech, because one minute you tell me that, yes, it's very uh, negative because that's the way you would expect a dictator to respond, but you haven't really criticized it Per se, you, I, I want to hear your view about, because if you're saying it's all negative, what are the, from your experience, what are the positive things of social media? 
Right, okay. Um, just, just to make sure that I understand what you're asking me. I mean, first, I just want to go back a little bit here because I'm, I'm doing a little bit of like counseling. And one of the skills of a counselor, which anyone can use, it's a skill, you can use, it's reflecting back what you're saying or how you're saying it, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing that you said to me was, um, you don't, you don't, you don't do feelings and you don't suffer from anxiety. Um, that, I mean, and, and that's valid. It's not about me to judge with that or not. For me, it's, I'm just curious as to the fact that you're, you came across as quite angry and passionate and anger is a, is a feeling. Um, and we would say usually anger is a way of giving you the energy to, to, to put your case across. You feel that there's an injustice, right? Um, and under anger, you usually find sadness, actually, rather than fear. I, although it's kind of fear driven. But the other point is, you said that I was sitting on the fence, okay? Now, I felt that what, what I was trying to understand was you, on one point you're saying ban all social media, but yet, particularly in the context we find ourselves in lockdown, social media has become a vital lifeline to, to many people. Um, and so when your definition of social media, I, I just need to get some clarity because Social media is, um, you know, we have personal and professional uses of social media. We have many platforms from Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, you know, there's a, probably seven major players in, in, the, in the arena right now. And my, it's not so much sitting on the fence. It's a matter of saying, look, there are the negatives and there are the positives. We can identify them and we can decide what we want to change and how we want to change them. Um, and that needs to have, we need that, we need to, we need to be a catalyst for a wider conversation. In terms of my understanding with social media with, as a counselor, I identify with the, your negatives that people will come to me and say they've been bullied online, cyberbullying, um, fear of missing out, um, too much time, uh, particularly, uh, with, with the physical appearance, um, selfies you know have we created a kind of narcissistic um you know personality within within the young and um also sometimes an overload of information um the 24 7 ness of social media not being able to switch off okay all those are the negatives Positives of social media is it's a great educational tool. It's a great research tool. You can access and be independent of a teacher or a library if you want to research information. You can use it to set up businesses. Um, it's got a global reach. Um, so you, there's, there are the positives. There are people that share. They have um, groups in different interests, online markets. So you know, there is the light there, the light, there is a light that shines on social media as a human technology, but there's also the dark side. And, um, but hasn't there always been President Obonjo? Hasn't there always been in the history of man? We are always in a battle between the light and the dark. And I think as a counselor, what I try to do when I work with people who bring issues that are related to anxieties and depressions around the use of social media is to get them to sit back to almost separate themselves and who they are as a person and to see social media as something that they can use for themselves. Um, and it's very much depends on their personality, their family, their culture, their upbringing. So it's like peeling an onion. I, I mean, I hope I've delivered that in a way that you understand that there are the positives and, and, and banning it, you cannot, it's like a Pandora's box. You will probably send it underground as we know about the dark web and, and the forbidden. You can't bury something that's alive because it thrives, it, 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 it's, what we need to do is bring up, bring it into the light. Um, uh. Okay, 
Thank you so much for that. That clarifies uh, what I was thinking. Certainly you're not sitting on the fence and I know that you have um, elaborated more on the positives. I get the impression that, uh, not that I expect you to tell me who your clients are. Is this the first time you've actually counseled a dictator, a world leader? Um. <laughs> It's confidential. <laughs> <laughs> so, because so, who knows, Trump might need your assistance once he leaves office. Reality. It's an Com ethical principle. <laughs> principle. Okay. Cool. I I fully understand that. Um, let, let's because this has almost become like a counseling for me as president. And as you know, I have been performing uh, and uh, giving public addresses for 11 good years. And these have been live performances. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I've been put under house arrest by the prime minister and I can't leave my house. You see how the tables have turned? And all my people, because we are a micro nation, a nation that is growing, certainly was growing before the lockdown. And uh, laughter Republicans are online. And I know when I say ban social media that uh, I might be shooting myself in the foot because my country is an online nation and we have online citizens. But I think one of my greatest regrets since the lockdown is that I did not make my nation real. I did not make it real as a, a, a legitimate country. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because it feels like since the lockdown, laughter Republic has disappeared. If that makes sense, it seems to have just disappeared. And I'm finding that really challenging because I want to hear from my people. I know, I know some people will look at me and say, He's gone really loony because there isn't a president of Laugh Republic. Laugh Republic doesn't exist in any shape or form. So, and some people say to me 11 years ago that when I picked up wearing this uniform and I went on stage and I said I was from Laugh Republic, some people think it was a midlife crisis. So, I am in, not necessarily in some kind of dilemma, but I am rediscovering new things. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. What do you think happened to me 11 years ago that made me create this fictional country that makes me believe there are people out there who are actually laughter Republicans because they are citizens of other countries. So there we have laughter Republicans in Britain. We have laughter Republicans in the United States. You, after this, and show is going to be a laughter Republican. So. Well, I have my own office as a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to unpack. Well, let's, okay, one of the things you asked significantly was, you know, what happened 11 years ago. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, but it, it's a question that I feel probably has many aspects and many levels in terms of an answer. Um, and what, what I would be curious about is I'm just wondering what, what was happening in your life 11 years ago um, and you know, how how quickly did you transition into this role as a president and manifest a fictional republic? I'm curious as to what was going on in your work, your family life. That is really interesting. It's a really interesting question. I, I am trying to remember because it's been so long ago I generally know that 11 years ago that I was so disillusioned with my uh, country called Nigeria 
because I am originally from Nigeria. And I genuinely wanted uh, to create my own nation, to create my own utopia, to create my own moment. You, you remember you said moment. So Laugh Republic was a moment for me where I could be myself, where I could have dreams, where I could have my own vision about what a country and what the president should do for his leaders. That is what drove me to uh, create my own nation. It wasn't really about comedy. It was more about my disillusionment with all these countries who have leaders, because most of these citizens were very unhappy with their respective leaders and their governments. So I had this dream of creating this nation and it mushroomed and it, for me, it became real. I mean, people of other nations were calling me president. You know, their president, my president. You could have a British citizen call me my president. You could have a US citizen call me my president. They identified with laughter republic. So that is the main reason the comedy was secondary because I never intended to be known as a comedian. I just wanted to create this country. It so happened that when my people were booking me into all these places to perform and to address the audience, people were finding me funny. And that was really surprising to me because as far as I was concerned in my head, I am a world leader. I am a president and I am addressing my people from one English town to the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, for sort of going back, I, I think, you know, when I hear that, there, there, there was a part of you, as you say, the co comedy came second and that you had this sense of being disillusioned with what was happening in Nigeria, with the presidents that you saw around the world. Yeah. And um, in a way, you, you, you kind of wanted to create this um, almost benevolent dictator. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about how you see the role of a dictator or who your role models may be. Maybe we'll explore that a little later. But it, it, it's a kind of, um, part of it's sort of a playful thing. It's like, yeah, I, I'm gonna do this. This sounds crazy, but I'm gonna make that leap. There's something, there's a calling. Let's, let, let's work the magic, you know, let, let's do this. And, and there was a part of you that almost just said, I'm, I'm taking the risk, I'm going for it. And, and you grew stronger because people kind of wanted you, like they were expecting you. This was a, you know, thank you. We were waiting for you to arrive, Mr. President, about time. They were ready. That's why there were people from all different countries waiting for this ideal president, a kind of messiah-like president. And there's that part of you, that playful part of you that would have stood up on stage and then you said you didn't want to be a comedian, but somehow you've absorbed that aspect of your presidential being. If that's the way that you have to connect to people and get your message across, so be it. You know, you haven't, you know, you didn't stand there and say, how dare you not take me seriously? You, you, there's a playfulness in it. And, un, but, and at the same time, there's a kind of, it's like being the wise fool. There's that archetype of the wise fool where you're playing a bit of a gesture role, but underneath there's a serious or a few serious messages that that, that are being um, delivered. And I don't know, I kind of feel as I hear that really, you know, without pushing, oh, let's say this is a personality disorder or delusions, you know, no, 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 you know, let, let's trans, figure that on a maybe for you some transpersonal counseling, because I spoke about my, my approach to counseling, I called it intricative, which means I could work in a very um, pathological way, just see that as a slight illness in a, a midlife car crash crisis or something. Um, what did your family say? You know, it's like you went into a telephone box and then you, like Superman, you span around and you came out wearing a presidential, you know, um, uniform. That's funny. By its <laughs> imagination. <laughs> but somehow, I just think that was a, that was a part of you that was 
waiting to be born. You know, we have this thing, I don't know whether you've heard of um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Do you know the no. famous pyramid? Yeah. Okay. Just let me explain very simply for the listeners, but basically they say that we all, as human beings, we have basic needs, yeah? Mm -hmm. And Maslow, who is a psychologist, he put them into a sort of pyramid shape. So the ones at the bottom, we need their basic needs like food, water, shelter, yeah? Mm -hmm. And then the next ones up are more like, um, yeah, security needs that we need maybe with friends, family, emotional security. And mm -hmm. then it goes up to more sense of belonging, to a race, to a country, to mm. a style of music, an identity thing. Mm. And as it goes up and up, you get to the point, the point, number five is called self-actualization, mm. where you get to a part of your life where you just feel uh, you can be creative, you could have been a painter, you could have, I don't know, you would have transformed or taken another path. I mean, mm. most people may take up a hobby, maybe they've taken up painting or, mm. I don't know, yoga or, keep fit mm. but you <laughs> you didn't want to go to evening class no 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 you had issues with the with the world political issues and i could see you as a nigerian living in a western world maybe you know when people live like for example my my father's asian my mother's english and, and i grew up um, in notting hill gate and i grew up in a world full of diversity and difference in different religions and different cultures and my father and Brahmin, the Hindus and my mother who was a bit of an atheist but had a Christian background and as a child I used to see every everyone just dressing up you know religious days it was all about ceremonies and dressing up days um, I don't think I had a very soulful connection towards religion because of my upbringing and yet I remember yearning for it but never you know, I wish I was just born this way, or I wish I was just that. Why do I have to choose, or why do I have to blend and mix? That's such hard work. But in a way that pushed me to be more flexible and move on. And I think your transformation as a president is you're, you're kind of living out the ideal father figure. And if I was to go very deep, but yeah, this is a podcast, but I don't want to. I think if, if I was to go very psychoanalytical on you, I would say there's something about the father figure in your life that you felt disappointed with. And this transformation is a way of you finding that connection. That is quite interesting. Um, quiet. <laughs> I am very quiet. I am very quiet because um, what I didn't say to you, um, in terms of my late father is that um, he uh, was a leader as well. And um, the challenge I have faced over the years is that I happen to be his legitimate son. Nobody knows about me in the country. Uh, so just to explain, um, he was the leader of Uganda and he had an affair with a Nigerian woman. So I spent most of my time in Nigeria. So my father was absent, but I, until we've had this discussion now, I have never ever thought about it in that way. Uh, do I miss my father? Just like any other human being, I do. Do I wish I had his kind of power? Most definitely, um, but for me, I genuinely have to say to you that if it wasn't because of the lockdown and the first lockdown, which has given me an opportunity to reflect, I genuinely believe in my head that I was real, that I had real power that I, there were laughter Republicans out there, that the country was actually real. It wasn't based online. Because whenever I went out there to talk to people, I have to say to you that they, they adored me. They pledged allegiance to me. They always said to me after my public address, we wish you were running Britain. We wish you were running Switzerland. We wish you were running Venezuela. It became 
so real. So you can imagine the lockdown was difficult for me because I had all these people that I saw. So it started by doing stuff online. So the country was created online and it became a situation where I was meeting real laughter Republicans all over the United Kingdom. And then all of a sudden the lockdown starts and it disappeared. And it's like, wow, this was really fiction. I don't really have any power. I hope you understand where I am coming from on this. And the frustrating thing for me is look at what's happened over the last year. And I'm now having to go back to rely on social media to get the information and to respond. So I am wondering, this is not the vision I had for Laugh Republic 11 years ago. This is not the vision I had for my country, for my presidency, because I genuinely believe that I could have made Laugh Republic real, where we created our own nation, where we invaded a country and we renamed it Laugh. I genuinely believe that's what would have happened. So just, just to kind of summarize, so what, what you were actually saying was that when you when you started it, you there was a sense that this was this was really happening. You, you did become this president. And when you say that you did create a republic um, and that you thought it would actually materialize, and it was like what 11 years now you've been in this role. Is that yes. correct? Yes. My I'm just wondering, so where geographically would you place this republic? Or, I mean, there were questions that would pop out for me, like, where would it be? Or because I thought it was more online and that's how people enjoyed the kind of um, almost like a kind of um, a cyber world where you could be president of a certain land and that you could um, have ideals around it and, and people would feel a sense of belonging rather than have a geographical place. I mean, I'm just a bit not too sure what you mean by you thought you would establish an, a real republic, as in? I wanted, I wanted the country. I know what you're saying, but just like my, just like any other president, especially when you've been in power for so long, your ideas evolve. Yes, it was online, but when I realized that all these existing countries were failing, failing their people, failing their citizens, I just thought, yes, this is an opportunity. Yes, you ask me, where would we have been located? I really don't know. The first thing we would have had to do, because we are not recognized by the United Nations, is to get the United Nations to accept us as a nation. Then we start talking about where do we need to be placed? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What doesn't make sense for me um, is that surely, to be recognized as a nation, you have to have a geographical location. That is correct. But the world is always evolving. Why do you have to have a geographical location? If you have people who are unhappy in their respective countries and they want to be part of that nation, why can't you let them be part of that nation? Well, I mean, I could see what I would see or what I think you've been doing in gathering your people that um, follow you is that you created this, which is uh, ironic because you were kind of anti-social media, but in a way it's social media that has allowed you to, to create this um, role and this space, which is non-geographic, but it exists in cyberspace, yeah? So your it role- really, It really hurts me when you talk- And the way that you actually deliver it because I've seen you in comedy you know we have a, a mutual friend Martin Besserman who runs his comedy club monkey business and uh, you know I've seen people enjoy your your show and I've seen you I heard about you going to speaker's corner and how people just really kind of fell into the theater of your presidency and that part of you that was having quite a serious political debate 
and the way that you were stirring up their emotions and they wanted to be loyal to something, they wanted to belong to something, you know, and you kind of evoked all those feelings with them. And, you know, that's fascinating to watch that behavior with people and, and they're needing or yearning to attach themselves to something. Um, and in a way you just touch on, on, I think what I would call the, I would call it like a kind of global trauma of, of um, when we live in a kind of nomadic global world where we have shifting identities, there's always a yearning to return back to, to some space, uh, back to the divine, you know, that sense of never going, never changing. Ne and yet there's another part of us that wants to change. We're in this conflict all the time. Um, so, and the other thing you're saying now is that lockdown has been a bit of a like, where's, where are my people? Where's my land? Where's my space? You know, yeah. you know this. This is, you know, and it, it's a bit of a crisis for you. Maybe not in terms of your identity, but in terms of your journey. Um, and yeah, yeah, and now you've got to stay in that space. And I, I, I would advise you to more like maybe, just say you say you don't like feelings, but just allow those feelings to come out. What does it feel like suddenly to be displaced? What does it feel like to feel that? You know your everyday activities have, have been um have been restricted and your families and your loved ones and your people how do you manage that um, because lockdown resonates with the presidential roles of political lockdowns yeah mm -hmm. and this is a public health lockdown um so I, I would say to you in all of this and all your questions is this is a space you can use for reflection mm -hmm. And one of the things about social media and one of the um, coping mechanisms or ways that we help people manage their mental health on social media is to create time out and spaces for reflection. And I spoke earlier about mindfulness and mm -hmm. all mindfulness means is simply staying in the moment. And you say, what does that mean staying in the moment? You know, well, basically all it means is I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you. Yeah. My mind's not thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm, anx I'm anxious about tomorrow. I'm fearful of the future. Mm. I'm very much here right now. I'm very much aware of what you look like, the posters behind you, mm -hmm. my computer, the lights around me. I'm very much aware of, because I'm tuning into you, you know, in almost anybody. It's not just a counselor, you know, I and thou, I'm with you. I'm mm. aware of you. I'm picking up your feelings, your body language. Maybe I can hear something in the background. So being in the moment is allowing your senses to be alive in the moment, mm -hmm. to feel it. And you feel more alive, the space opens up around you. Now, if you were talking to me and I was talking to you and I was thinking about someone else and I'd be distracted and I was giving you a little bit of my attention or I do what most of us do today. Oh, hang on, I got another, I got another like, you know, that we're multitasking. Mm -hmm. That is not mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness has come about as an antidote, as a vaccination against social media and being constantly online and being constantly all over the place, mm -hmm. dispersed, your attention, your being, your anxiety, or even depression. So um, in terms of where you are now in your lockdown, you could use this like be like a K. Maybe you could kind of be a little bit of a guru. President Obunja's having a guru moment where you're mm -hmm. like, see it like a cave. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a time when the universe is asking you perhaps to meditate, which is mindfulness, is to sit still, close your eyes, check in with yourself and your breathing and see what comes up. It could be fear. It could be, but let it come up. You are not your feelings. You are not your thoughts. Let them come up. As Rumi said, the body is a guest house. Invite the jealousy in, invite the anger in. They won't stay for long, but just say hi to them. That's really, really powerful. You are quite good. That you are quite a good counselor. And I'm hoping that my listeners will uh, pick up some of the coping strategies. Um, I said, certainly for me, you know, at times I think, uh, Sharon, that 
if it wasn't because of social media, I know this is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, that if it wasn't because of social media, I probably wouldn't have had the ability or the opportunity to actually create this fictional country. And maybe I would have been able to join a real army. And by so joining a real army, then I would have been able to take over a real country. So you see, it's a balancing act for me. Uh, and I'm sure I am not the only one going through what I am going through, thinking and reflecting. Certainly, I don't meditate. I don't close my eyes because when I close my eyes, I see things that I don't like to see, like all my enemies that have their heads in my fridge. Uh, I see them at night. So I try not to meditate, but on a serious note, I, I like the idea of these coping strategies because I am sure I am not the only one. And I hope that people listening or watching this will understand that as uh, Sharon has rightly pointed out, there are coping strategies, the mindfulness being at the moment. And uh, you know, for me, it's come as a shock because as a president of a great nation running around addressing people all over the UK, I never took time to stop and reflect because I was constantly on demand. Constantly on demand. Um, so that's been um, interesting. Uh, what do you have to say for my listeners and uh, viewers on this podcast about, uh, I know you're an expert on mindfulness. What are the top tips in terms of social media that you would like to uh, say to my people that might help them? Right. So, um, it, I mean, this is also coming from the research. It's looking, first of all, it's like um, looking at becoming aware or writing down very clearly what benefits you think you get from social media and what things you'd like to change. So you really need to put it on paper. It's almost like when you see it written, you know, what uses you, why you use social media. Now, it could be for like work. It could be to connect to your family abroad, um, or it could be because you're lonely. It could be because you're bored. It's because you want to see what other people are doing, you know, like opening and being nosy sort of thing. When you see why you're using it, then you may decide, okay, do I need, if I'm lonely, is social media going to help me? Um, is this a healthy reason to use it? So it's becoming aware of why you do things, yeah? It's also becoming aware of your thinking. What beliefs do you have around social media? Right, so for example, if I'm on Facebook, I need to put a, I need to, I no longer live as Sharon in my world and see other people. I am now living for Facebook. I must make sure I'm in the right places, saying, you know, boring my friends to tears with what I've cooked today. Um, showing them my latest hairdo. And I'm kind of living in a kind of cyber um, unreality. So that's when you should stop using social media, pull back, because you will find that you are becoming lonely as a human being. And research has shown that being on social media does not replace face-to-face -face contact, does not replace going for a walk. It does not replace living in reality. Um, so basically, it's number one, be aware of why you use social media. Number two, consciously make changes, cut down on the time you're using it for, maybe cut back on the reasons you're using it for. And the final one is have a boundary between a social media self and a personal self. Don't share everything. Be careful what you share. And finally, and this is for the younger people, if you feel afraid, if you feel uncertain, there is always help out there in terms of cyberbullying. If you start feeling that you don't look pretty enough, if you're feeling ugly enough, just remember this belief is, is not true. It's a belief and you can challenge it because as we all say as counselors, we are all enough. We are good enough. We're okay. 
and we certainly don't want to be perfect mm -hmm. and when we go back to being okay and when we go back to knowing that we're on this planet to almost yearn not to be here and have a yearning and, and connect through love and respect if you keep in that position and compassion to yourself without being soft because you need power to be compassionate um pull back on those feelings and it, it, it's that tune in with yourself and believe me social media can be your friend there is a lot of positive growth changing things online Thank you so much, Sharon. That has been extremely useful. Before I end the interview, uh, I know you are well connected. What are the chances of getting Ruby Wax to come to my podcast? Um, right, um, it's a good question. I suppose you'd have to contact her agent. I thought you knew and, her. Uh, I, I only know her as um, someone who's been, she was, um, a, well, she was a, like a journalist on television. She's mm. not a personal friend. I know her only because she was part of a, she's a counseling, she's in the counseling community. I know her more as, as somebody who admires her, but I'm sure, um, and even Ruby Wax would believe this, if, if you put that out to the universe, that that, that will happen. You know, it's, we call it manifesting. Yes, yes. And, 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 and that, and that is what, uh, that is a very good point. Because and that I remember is what, what Ruby Wax said, because she always said, when she was on television, she was doing this all because she was terrified. Mm -hmm. She was, she, she said that she felt so afraid she had to be famous, she had to do this. And she was wearing herself out. And she said that when she had a breakdown, and she went into the mental hospital, she said, for the first time, I felt amongst my people. <laughs> And I grew strong, I imagine. <laughs> I think on that note, we are going to end this interview. I certainly have found it extremely interesting. Uh, not only have I had my first counseling service as a president, I believe that after this, I'm going to have to debrief myself. All I would say from this session today is if you are feeling quite vulnerable with because quite a number of people are still relying on social media and rightly so because of the lockdown please seek help it is really really important you are not alone and if a president of a great nation a leader of the unfree world can come and talk to you and express his views about his vulnerability about social media and the impact of the lockdown, then you do not have any excuse. Seek help. Don't forget the coping mechanisms that wonderful Sharon has just highlighted during this interview. And I want all laughter Republicans to take this message seriously. And on this day, the 8th of January, 2021, I officially appoint Sharon Anderson as my official counselor. I don't know whether other world leaders, whether they have counselors, but I would suggest they do. And I shall be speaking to my friend Donald Trump when he leaves office to employ the services of Sharon because he will need it. Sharon, one more last word. Is there anything else you want to plug your services to my people yeah just to say um thank you for, for having me on and um it's very important there is help and people are not alone and using social media there is a lot of online help everybody every government is aware that there is a mental health crisis a mental health pandemic that is happening because of the corona covid19 so People are anxious, they can't cope, they feel alone. So please connect, please contact somebody online and via telephone. There is always somebody there to support you. And you deserve all the support that you get. And God bless. Thank you very much. And we wish you well. This is now out. This has been a fantastic and wonderful 
session with uh, my dear friend, Sharon Anderson, who's now my official counselor for the president of Laughter Republic. The show must go on. We will defeat COVID. Stay safe. Thank you very much. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.